Hello, friends. Welcome to Extra Tomorrows, where we explore ideas, attitudes, and perspectives to make your tomorrows extra. On episode six, my guest is Des Clark, where we talk about her recent epic adventure at Cocodona 250. Enjoy. All right, here we go. Welcome, Des Clark. Thank you. How are you feeling? Um, better than I expected, actually. Uh, sleeping and eating a lot still. Yeah, let's see. We're just about, uh, mm, I'd say like six days removed from the end. Your finish at Cocodona 250? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I finish on Friday. So, yeah, six days. <clears throat> yeah, that is impressive. You know, it's when you see these numbers like, um, oh, you ran for 108 hours, I believe it was, somewhere in there. And uh, that sounds like a lot. But then when you think, when I tell people, I say, okay, look, she started running Monday morning and she finished Friday after you would have gotten off of work, like a whole work week. She was out there like working and getting worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting when you're out there and like you sleep at all different times and stuff and like you totally lose any concept of like what day it is or what time it is. You're just out there moving. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I would imagine you might. Yeah, like just lose concepts of well, what what are days and you know anything really? <laughs> like what is yeah. what is life? <laughs> so what uh what got you interested in doing this race? I mean that's a that's a that's a big uh, bite to take to take on. It is, yeah. Um, it's funny because I was always one of those people who was like two hundred milers are ridiculous, and I'm I would never even consider doing a two hundred miler. Um, and then, you know, what was it? Cause it's been three years. So probably like four years ago, um, when Jamil started talking about this, this race and like, he, I think he had been planning the course for a while, but he started to make it public, the course that he was planning. Um, and I saw it and I consider like, I moved here, but I consider Arizona my home state. And so when I saw the course and all the cool places it explored, I was just like, Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> right? Like I'm shoot. I'm going to want to do this race. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first year I, I wasn't quite ready for it. And then the second year I'd actually in 2021, I fell and I tore my meniscus. Mm -hmm. Um, so I needed surgery. So the 2022 race, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that one either. And so this year I had applied for the hard rock, uh, lottery. And I was like, if I don't get into hard rock, I'm going to do Cocodona. And unsurprisingly, I didn't get into hard rock. So I was like, okay. Here, here we go. We're we're doing Cocodona. Wow. Um, so that was kind of the the draw of it for me. And it, I actually kind of like I get you know I can be kind of hard on myself when it comes to races and being kind of competitive. Um, and I think I it was kind of nice in that I went into this with no expectations, right? Like I just wanted to finish the race. Um, so I didn't put any pressure on myself as far as like time or where I'd place or anything like that. I just wanted to enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine someone coming into it with, uh, <laughs> with like a goal. Like, I mean, I tried to do this when I first signed up for 200. I was like, I haven't done one yet, but uh, mm -hmm. I've been living with this goal for a while. And at first I had a time goal. And the more videos I watched and more things and the more I thought about it, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like how, 
where are you getting this number from? What do you, how do you think this is going to go down? Like, um, yeah. And I think like when you see people that like, I mean, aside from Courtney, right. Courtney of course crushed her first 200 miler. But I think when you see people that are doing well at the 200 milers, it's people that have done it repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like know, know what they're doing at it. Mm -hmm. Well, even with her, even then, yeah, I mean, well, even with her, like after she crushed, uh, I guess with Moab, and then she went to do that Tahoe 200 where she was going to try to get under 48 hours or something like that. Even that kind of, you know, fell apart for her. And then she had yeah. to like move move her goals and like, okay, now we're going to shoot for this or whatever. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, with my race too, at mile, it was, it was deer pass, which I think is somewhere around 150. Mm-hmm. Um, I came in on that section and I was, I was pretty bad. Um, my, my ankles had swollen over my shoes and my calves were all swollen up. My crew chief was worried about compartment syndrome. So she called the medics. And when they got there, like I was on fire, but I was shivering and my resting heart rate was 95. Wow. Uh, And they're like, you should go to the emergency room (laughs) and being, you know, being an ultra runner. I'm like, okay, so like, do I have time to go to the emergency room and then come back and finish the race? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. If you go to the emergency room, you're done. Yeah. Um, and we managed to bargain with them. And I uh, I signed a little form saying, like, I understood that they told me I should go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I decided not to. And mm-hmm. then we just, I mean, we pumped me flew of electrolytes and I slept for like four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got up, I was kind of, I was pretty defeated by the whole, by the whole ordeal. And, and I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go on. And I don't know if it makes sense to go on. And um, I went into the bathroom and my, my pacer and my crew chief were like, so she's going, um, <laughs> get her bag ready. And they convinced me to just start hiking. And then, I mean, I did another hundred miles. It was, it was kind of crazy. So when you say your, your ankles were over your shoes, so you just had like huge cankles, I guess, like you were really swollen yes. up in your legs. Yeah. Lots of swelling. Wow. Was it like they had to kind of like pry my shoes off my feet kind of thing. Oh man. Yeah. Did you get pictures? I don't, I did not get pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if my crew got pictures or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, and that was, yeah, I think, let's see, you were saying like dead horse to, to deer passes where you were having yeah. troubles. 135 to 148 is what I'm seeing on this map. Yeah. And I think like, usually I do pretty good in the heat, but I think it's just like, you don't know how your body's going to do in the heat when you're 135 miles in, right? Like it was just all new territory. Yeah. I mean, and I I wonder too, how did it go with that first, um, I don't remember what it is, like 40 miles. Cause I think there was like, you know, the suggestion was like carry four liters of water too. So like carrying like a significant pack for a runner, you know, on, I don't, I don't even know if that's, I don't know if, even know if I try to run with all that on me, but like, uh, like how did that, I mean, how did that, that section is, It's not very runnable. I, it's kind of funny. I really liked that section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like climbing. In fact, I dropped three of my pacers on uphill climbs during the race. Wow. Um, I just like gnarly uphills. So like that first section for me was kind of fun. And I went into it with the idea of like, it's going to be hard. And it's going to be slow and you just got to keep moving and stay positive. And like, my goal was to get to crown King, which is at mile 37, get there to my crew with a smile. And like, if I could get there with a smile and feeling good, then that was the first challenge of the race down. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, but definitely it was it was tough. And they had um, so you had to carry four liters, and then they also had a refill spot at mile eleven and mile twenty five where you could get one additional liter at both those. Um, but definitely even I mean the first year I was the aid station captain at Lane Mountain, which is at mile thirty three, right before you get to Crown King, and so I saw all of the carnage from. From year one. Um, yeah, I th- isn't that the year, one where, where like Jamil was running the first year or something and he like ran up there and ran back because he was like, we got to get these people water. Everyone's running out of water yeah. or something like that. Yeah, they started carrying like we were sending aid station volunteers with like as much water as they could carry to hike down the mountain as far as they could mm-hmm. to get to people. Um, So which is why they did the the water drops this year. And they actually had to get mules to take the water in for the water drops. That's how. Mm-hmm remote it is there's no there's no way to get in it's like a 22 mile section where there's just no way into it except by foot Mm -hmm. or by mule um but definitely there was still quite a few people this year even though with the warnings and everything um people that dropped people i ran into a guy that was man he was still a good five or six miles away from the water drop and was out of water he had zero Mm -hmm. water in his pack Mm -hmm. um and so i gave him some of mine and another runner gave him a little bit but definitely it was still a rough section for quite a few people. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is rough. And I imagine the water drops being b- done by mule that they were not a bunch of ice cold water. Um, no, it was no, it was you like got what you got, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at that point, you're kind of just like, oh, I'm just happy that there's something wet that I can put in my pack. Right? Yeah. I mean, it beats what I think a lot of what a lot of people described as their for that first year was. You know, a lot of people just laid out trying to get shade underneath the cactus or whatever to survive. I did come up on, it was interesting because like with the whole, you know, like Jeff Garmeyer and Mike McKnight, right. I think they both had pretty tough first days and it was probably around like mile, like 30 ish. I came up on Jeff Garmeyer, like just like laying on the ground. I was like, um, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I just puked up everything that I had in my stomach and, (laughs) and it was really violent and I'm just laying here trying to recover. And I'm like, Okay, like, do you, do you need anything? Or like, he's like, no, no, I'm fine. Just keep going. Like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's one cooling strategy, you know, cool from within. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Um. So, it sounds like you made it through mile the the first bit. Um, I mean, bit the first forty miles, thirty seven miles, pretty pretty unscathed, and then yeah. let's see. So then that hundred and th- so when you got to that that section that kind of zapped you, that was your second day or what? Where was that? Because that's like a great question. It was like a um, hundred and let's see, 135 is where Dead Horse is. Yeah. No, I think. Or maybe. I mean, it took me until my, it took me until Tuesday morning mm-hmm. to get to Friendly Pines. It was like three o'clock in the morning that I got to Friendly Pines at mile 71. Okay. Um, and and then I had a pacer through the day there. No, so it would have been it would have been Wednesday that that okay. I hit Deer Pass. Wow. Yeah. And I, so I imagine too, like I've I remember that when you're uh, one of the contributing factors to heat stress is uh, fatigue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing is like you know, and Jamila talked to me about this beforehand, but like he's like you know, there's not really any place to sleep until you get to mile 71. And because that first section is so rough, you know, it takes people so long to get to that 37, that then like to get to 71, you're just, by that point, you're so tired 
And mm-hmm. um, I did try, I took a trail nap um, at one point. And it was funny because I laid down, I set my alarm for five minutes and I got up and I start moving. And then I say, no, there's like a headlight coming towards me. And I, I come across this guy and I'm like, I think you're going the wrong way. He's like, oh no, again. He's like, I heard he went like, an extra two miles. And he was like all upset and stuff. And then I'm like, as my brain is like waking up and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wait, but we're both on the right trail. And like, how could he have possibly gotten ahead of me and then just like turned around and I'm like, wait a minute, I think I'm going the wrong way. Wow. <laughs> so I had gotten up from my trail and started moving the wrong way on the trail. Um, but then like I got to Camp Kippa and they're like, well, there's a cabin that you could lay down in. Um, and I tried to lay down, but it was so cold that I just like shivered the whole time. Like wow. I wasn't actually sleeping. Um, and then at Friendly Pine, there's like the way that it's set up. It's it's not very soundproof, right? It's this really old cabin and the the sleep bunks are right next to the kitchen. Yeah. So like it, it wasn't, I laid down for like an hour and a half, but it wasn't, I didn't actually sleep. Mm. Um, and then after that, I talked to my crew chief and she had a, like a sleep set up in the back of her forerunner. And I was like, I need to sleep in the back of the car because I'm not, you know, I just wasted two hours of my time. And I didn't get any sleep out of it, right? Did you did you feel so like you got, did you feel like you got any benefit out of that though? Like just lying there, resting your eyes, or I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some benefit to just like not moving, right, and not yeah. doing anything. But it would have been nice to. So, and then once I started in the forerunner, then then you know I would crawl in there, and sometimes it was even just twenty minutes, yeah. and you crawl in and you like you're right out, right? Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this. I mean, a lot of this is a lot of these questions are selfish because I have a 200 miler coming up in two months, so I'm just trying to. Yeah, it's, right. the whole sleep thing is a you know a big question mark, and you know people have done. It depends on how long you're gonna. It's gonna take you as well, right? right. Like, because yes. um, and when I went into it, like my thoughts on it were like I do good with like like 20 minute naps, 30 minute naps and 90 minute naps. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so I was going into it with like, let's start out with like doing some 90 minutes and see where that puts us Mm -hmm. But with the knowledge too, that like, if I started to feel really tired, I was going to lay down for like four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually when I got to Mingus was the first place that I laid down for like quite a while. And then I set my alarm for four hours. And after three, I woke up and I was ready to go. Nice. Did you do any of them during the day or were they all at night? The naps, um, the, like the longer I had, like of the longer sleeps that I had, they were at night. Um, but then I do like, there were times where like in the middle of the day, I take like a 20 minute nap. Okay. Um, which I don't know how you are with your training, but like when I do like long runs and stuff, a lot of times after my long runs, I'll do like a 20 minute nap and it'll just like help like reset you for the day. Um, Mm -hmm. so I feel like that was, that was key. And I mean, the other thing is like, I noticed myself um, that like one to like 4 a.m. time frame, I was literally like falling asleep while I was running. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there I, I was trying to like plan my sleeping so that I wasn't doing that. Because um, at some points it was, you know, it was too cold to to do a trail nap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe too hot, too. Yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> huh. Oh, and then did, did were you uh, were you worried at all about uh, critters joining you as you on your in your trail naps, or or were you just beyond all that? No, I was kind of beyond all that. Like I, well, yeah. I was actually one of those people who was like, "Man, I really hope I see a mountain lion uh-huh. while I'm in the Bradshaws." I did not, and it was funny because like 
I ran 250 miles in the wilderness, right? And the most exciting thing I saw was a horned toad. And then yesterday I was, I was hiking with some friends at like a city, a city trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw a bobcat. And I'm oh, like, wow. of course. Yeah. This is when we see the wild animals. Um, yeah. Well, so speaking of seeing wild animals and whatever, did you see anything else that, that might not have actually been there? Um, and that was, that was the other crazy part for me. So when I did Mogia Monster 100, which was last September, I hallucinated for like a good eight to 10 hours. Mm. Like I was, I was hallucinating in the daytime. It was, it was crazy. I didn't really have that many hallucinations this time. And most of it was more like those, like, like eye tricks. Like I'd see a rock out of the corner of my eye and think it was a cow Mm -hmm. type thing, but I didn't have any major hallucinations. Um, going up Mingus, I did think I saw the aid station a couple times when it <laughs> wasn't there yet. Um, yeah. but yeah, I didn't see anything crazy and I don't know if it's because my mind's adjusting or like I said, maybe my mind has just realized that like, that doesn't make me stop. So, right. so why use hallucinations when yeah. they don't work? Or maybe it's because, I mean, I don't know what the, the, dis, the, the time was between your sleeps, but maybe that just that little that little hit, you got right. the minimum effective dose to be like, okay, she's not going to die. Just let her keep doing her crazy thing. <laughs> right? We've done this before. Just let her keep going. Yeah. Well, um, let me ask you this. What Leading up to this race, uh, when did you find out that you were going to do this and that Hard Rock wasn't going to uh, gonna yeah, happen? So I can't remember the exact... I remember it was... I was at McDowell Mountain Frenzy. I was volunteering at an aid station, and that was the day of the hard rock 100 lottery. Uh-huh. And so that was the day that I found out. So it was like early-ish December. Okay. Um, and then I actually didn't sign up for the race right away. I, uh, uh, Air Viper does this really great program where you can volunteer at races and you get race credit for future races. Um, so I did a, quite a bit of volunteering mm-hmm. uh, to help pay for Cocodona because it's not, you know, it's not a small price ticket. And, and it makes sense. I mean, they... Mm-hmm. Aravipa goes above and beyond with everything they do and they have to have volunteers and employees and 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 I actually I worked I worked the week before and the week after Cocodona helping mm-hmm. to set up so I know the work that goes into it right yeah. um so yeah, I mean, it was December that I decided that I was going to do it and then I you're basically oh, funding okay. a multi-day catered expedition yeah so it makes sense yeah yeah pretty much right yeah, yeah. um and so so yeah so then I I signed up in February. And then it's funny after doing all the volunteering that I did to get the race credits and sign up for the race in February. Um, then I actually took a job with Aravipa. Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the girls was like, why don't you just like, you spend so much time. Why don't you just work for us? And I was like, Oh, I, I don't know. Why don't I just work for you? Nice. Well, yeah. so February, so you got like three months to uh, do anything special or different in your yeah. training. Did you what? Did you do anything different or special or um, for your training for this? I mean, that so it was overall. I would say it's pretty. It was pretty close to like a hundred mile training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with a couple little additions because I find for myself, I don't do great with high mileage. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I do too many high mileage weeks, I just burn myself out, and I I don't really benefit from it. Um, so I did do, like, I, I raced Mesquite Canyon. And when I did that, the 50 mile, um, I carried four liters of water with me. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a run. minute. Wait, did you win that race? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you won um, it with four liters of water? Come on. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
<laughs> so, so like I tried to do, like I did that race as though it was 50 miles of Cocodona. Right. And, right. um, I practiced with poles cause I had never done poles before. Um, and I did some like bigger back to backs. And then I had one week too, where I ran all seven days and I put in probably like 120 miles in that mm-hmm. week just to get used to that. Like every, and there wasn't any one really big long run, but it was just like every day getting up and doing a long ish run, um, to get my body used to that. And I think too, the other thing, like, um, kind of the work for Aravipa was almost like training as well. Like for black canyons, you, you were there mm-hmm. for, for part of that volunteering. And like, I worked Wednesday and Thursday and then Friday because of all the wind, I worked from 8 a.m. until 10 30 p.m. And then Saturday I got up at 3 30 worked and then paced Natalie for 24 out 24 miles. And then the next morning got up again at like four o'clock in the morning and worked like a 12 hour shift. Um, and I just was like, Oh, well this is perfect. Like this is perfect Cocodona trading, right? I'm doing like physical work and not sleeping a lot. And so I, I think that was the thing is just getting myself used to like doing things when I was tired. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, when you did that 120 mile week, was that all running or was there any hiking in that too? Or how'd that work? It was, it was mostly running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I mean, that was the other thing I did do though. Like a lot, I, like, I was always like telling friends, like whenever you want to hike, I'll go hike with you. Right. So I would like go to Iran and then go meet a friend and do a hike afterwards too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting in extra time on feet. And I think too, I mean, I'm a mom, right? So I think like if you're doing your everyday life things, you're probably on your feet a lot anyway too, right? So it's like my runs were running, but then spending a lot of extra time on my feet, either hiking or doing stuff around the house or, you know, running errands, whatever it was that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so are, are you, did you, are you already a pretty good hiker as far as speed or did you do you, do you care about that at all? Is that a priority I mean, or? That was one of the hard things is like to, in training for this. I definitely think I could have improved my hiking speed. Like mm-hmm. I think if I were to, I'm not, I'm not ever going to do Cocodona again. Um, I want that out there on the internet. People can hold me to it. Um, but if I were to do it again, I think working on like hiking speed would probably be something, but it was kind of that balance of like, I like to run because I like to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much of like what I like to do, did I want to give up to get, right. to be better at this specific race mm-hmm. versus like doing what I was already doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I definitely think I'm pretty good. I'm good at the uphills. Like I'm, I'm pretty solid on the uphills, but like flat hiking and stuff, I definitely noticed that people were hiking past me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's something I've, I've heard a lot of people speak to. Uh, like that was one thing that Michael McKnight said. He was like, you know, when you get 150 miles in, you can tell the people who practice their hiking or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if you could tell that I practice my hiking because I'm just slow all the time. I mean, I, I try to do these like walking workouts, but I'm like, is this worth it? I don't know. I mean, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's like, what what is your goal? Right. Like mm-hmm. my goal for this was to f- finish it. Right. I wanted to do it and it was a big adventure for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I had more specific like time or place goals, there are probably some things I would have added to my training. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. the other nice thing is like, as you know, as a coach, this gave me the experience that I can then 
pass on to other other people that I'm coaching, right? Um, yeah. So even if it's things that I didn't necessarily nail, I know things that would be helpful for them if they want to do a 200 plus smiler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough thing. I feel like with this uh, with this distance is for coaching. I'm going through like a coaching certification right now, and I'm like trying to take everything in that I'm learning about 200s. And I'm like, well, I don't know if this is going to work because there's so many variables, right? Like, yeah. But for instance, you, the experience you had where you're like, um, if your ankles swell over your shoes at 130 miles in when you're in the desert on your second day, then it might help to do this. So, you know what I mean? There's so many. Right confounding variables is I guess is one way to say it but but still there's um I guess also you run into so many problems that you learn a lot of solutions to a lot of problems which yeah, is it's all all ultra running a lot of what ultra running is right just like yeah it's just like and I think that's too is just going into things with like an open mind um mm-hmm. and not being like like don't put the blinders on and think like oh every like everything's gonna go perfect like that's a really bad way to start a really mm-hmm. long run, right? But knowing that things are going to go wrong, and when they do, you just like you just work your way through them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and if you can work your way through what's going on right now, like don't worry. That was one of the things when I, you know, when I was at mile one fifty, and I'm like, man, I have sixty hours left in the race. I don't know if I can. The way I feel right now, I don't know if I can cover a hundred miles in sixty hours. Mm-hmm. My pacer was like, it doesn't matter. We just got to get to the next aid station. And then I was like, yeah, but. Like you can only be with me till a certain time in the morning. So like you have to leave by a certain time. What if I can't get to the next aid station by that time? And she's like, it doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. Like you just need to start moving. Um, So I think that's the thing is like, you don't want to think too far ahead or like set yourself up. You just want to deal with like whatever's going on in front of you. You work through that and then you work through the next thing and then you work through the next thing. Yeah. So because one of the things that I've, I uh, I'm guessing from the post that Aravipa put up yesterday about you uh-huh. is that you might have fallen behind the cutoffs at some point. Is that or or you were dancing I, with them? Yeah, I was like because at one point I was like well ahead of the cutoffs, right? Like, uh-huh. um, and then yeah, with that time that I spent at Deer Pass, at one point I was only a couple hours ahead of the cutoffs. Okay, um, and in my mind. I was like, I'm, I'm chasing cutoffs, right? Whether that was true or not, I felt like I was chasing cutoffs. Okay. And then just like, I felt like once I started moving after that point, I just kept getting stronger and stronger so that it came to the point where like, then the cutoffs didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Cause you made it well under the cutoffs. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've still placed 11th. Um, yeah. Right. So, I mean, you did kind of have a, you did kind of have a Michael Manite performance, you know, <laughs> Almost. you just had your own special one. I mean, there was a lot of, there's a lot of tough finishes out there. Gosh, I saw that, um, uh, Sally's feet. Ugh, good. Oh, I know. That is one thing. Like I, I think that's the other thing with two fifties. It amazed me that there's people out there with no crew or pacers, right. Yeah. That are just like going with their drop bags. Like that was pretty amazing to me. But I think the other thing is I just had, like, I had a good crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, so Lauren is is one of my coaching clients. And she took the entire week off and spent the entire week with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things we focused on was feet, right? Mm-hmm. And so just making sure when I came in, we checked my feet. If there was blisters, we popped them, we taped them. Um, and then at one point, so Whiskey Row, which I don't, I don't know what mile that is, but at Whiskey Row, mm-hmm. we switched my shoes to a half size up. Okay. Um, which was, I think, a critical part of 
of because your feet swell so much right. um, that your normal size shoes are just too snug. <laughs> it wasn't just your feet, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Like everything, but uh, but yes. So so that was another important thing was just like making sure I took care of my feet. Mm-hmm. And did you do anything beforehand to condition them or toughen them up or make them supple, whatever? Um, just the normal stuff. And then I use um, Squirrel's Nut Butter has a product. The Happy Toes? Called Happy Toes. Right. Um, and so I would put that on, like just making and making sure like it's kind of like, I, I feel like it's almost like management. Like you get like calluses on your feet and it's like keeping them low enough that they're not rubbing on things, but like, mm-hmm. um, but not so low that then the skin's like fresh and right. and tender. Um, and I do have, so, so I got my toenails removed, except for my big toenails. I got my toenails removed uh-huh. um, a couple of years ago. Cause I used to always get blisters under my toenails. Oh, wow. um, and so that has helped. Yeah. I don't have that issue anymore. Like got them um, cauterized it's, it's or whatever. So they're like, Oh, what's that? Like got them cauterized like permanently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they took them out and then they, put some kind of chemical on them so they wouldn't grow back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then I actually like, you know, everybody has their thing that works. I don't wear socks when I run. Uh Um, And I found that for me personally, I get less blisters if I don't have socks than any other type of sock I've tried. But I think that's the thing is like figuring out ahead of time what works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And knowing though that like, I knew that that worked up through a hundred miles. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. Right. And you just had to manage whatever happened. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I fear, cause just because I hear everyone talk about it, I think, I think everybody maybe makes a bigger deal out of feet than maybe it needs to be. Cause I mean, yes. at the end of the day, it's like, you can still run. It just hurts really bad. Yes. <laughs> you know, no, because that's true. If it goes the worst, I mean, you might lose that whole sheet of skin. That doesn't seem to be normally what happens to people. Sometimes that happens but I think, yeah, worst case scenario, it's just going to hurt like hell. And I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's some version of running these long races where it doesn't hurt like hell. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And I even noticed that, like, I would, like, lay down. Right? I'd lay down for, like, 20 minutes and I'd get up out of the car and I'd start moving. And, like, my feet hurt and I could feel every single little blister that I had and, like, my legs hurt. But then once you start moving and you're focusing on other things. Yeah, like that kind of like fall. I don't think that the pain goes away, but it kind of like falls to the background, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Goodness, no socks. Good on you. That's that's uh, that's pretty tough. How do people give you a lot of attention for that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I've had I had several people during the race that were like, "Wait, do you not have any socks on?" Like, yeah. I don't. Wow. So when the, um, so you said you, you don't normally run poles and it sounds like you took some with you. Did you use them a lot or a little or is what, what you, um, I use them for most sections. Like there were some sections that were pretty, um, flat, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's one thing with Cocodota is there's like some sections that have a lot of climb and descent in them. And then there's some sections that are more runnable. So Mm -hmm. I was strategic with like, uh, and my crew chief helped with that of like, okay, the next, you know, the next 20 mile section you only have a thousand feet of climb. So mm-hmm. leave your poles here. You can, right. you can go without the poles. Um, they were definitely helpful on the uphill, especially that first day. Cause it's so gnarly, mm-hmm. like just having those extra points of contact to, right. to keep you. Um, and I find too, sometimes for myself, now that I've started using poles, like if I'm doing those like long kind of grinding uphills that it helps having those poles helps keep me focused on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then towards the end of the race, they were actually helpful on the downhills because that by that point, your quads are so beat up that like mm-hmm. they kind of help catch you on the downhills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say definitely for the ups and the downs, I used the poles. Um, and then the flatter sections, I tried to go without. But I kind of knew, like, never having used poles before, I knew that whether I did Hard Rock or Cocodona this year, they were both going to be a race where I'd want poles with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's so many different ways, so many re- different reasons you can use them, uh, where it's like, I mean, it's good for, oh, you tripped. Like, catch yourself before yeah, you the absolutely. Um, you can catch yourself with your poles instead of your face. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a nice thing to be able to do. There's a lot less, yeah, a lot less you got to get up. It, but it is nice to take a break from them, too, where you're like, oh, thank God I don't have anything in my hands right now. Yeah. And did you wear gloves? Because, like, I'm one of those runners that, like, if if I could, I'd run with absolutely nothing, right? right. Like, just, like, the clothes on my back and I'd go. But uh-huh. then the, the longer you go, the more you have to plan for other stuff. Right. And then, like, for me, it's like, well, if you now I've got poles, that means my hands are in an odd position, which means I need to wear gloves so I don't get sunburnt on my hands. Yeah. So it's yeah. like a whole thing. But then those gloves are nice too, like the little chili gloves. So you can you can use them for wiping yeah, your nose right. or your head or whatever. There's like little wearable nasty napkins. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Everything was at, at one point I came into the aid station and like my crew chief went to like take my buff. And I'm like, I don't know if you want to touch that. Like yeah, that's, yeah. it's pretty gross right now. All right. It's time for a short break so I can tell you about my new course called Get Ready With Me for a Trail Ultra Marathon. In this course, I show you how I prepare myself for a trail ultra so when it's time to go, there's less worry. Then I can focus on enjoying the beauty of the course, the kindness of the volunteers, and the camaraderie of the other athletes. Check it out at extratomorrows.com slash get ready and we'll work on making that tomorrow extra. Again, that's extratomorrows.com slash get ready. Now back to the show. Let me ask you this. Did you do uh, uh, any, so did you do anything like when you come in for a sleep where you go ahead and do some like a wardrobe change or like, let's get all my socks and stuff changed up. Well, not socks, but uh, like, like get Um, everything dry and nice before you lay down or anything like that. Um. I definitely did some wardrobe changes. They didn't always necessarily coincide with my sleeps. Mm-hmm. And it kind of depended, like, again, like keeping that open mind of like, let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. There were some times where I came in and I was just like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to lay down. Right. right. Like, I can't even think right now of what I would want to do. Just let me lay down. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have like planned wardrobe changes, but there were definitely, especially in my shorts, they just got so mm-hmm. gross with like sweat and whatever else that yeah. like, you know, I changed those a couple of times. And then I think the other main thing that I did was like my shirts. Mm-hmm. So I had, I wore long sleeves the whole time, but I had like long sleeve sun shirts and then like long sleeve, like warm overnight shirts. Right. So we always kind of planned out like when we were switching those shirts to make sure that I didn't get caught being too hot or too cold. Mm-hmm. And y'all had to carry a uh, mandatory kit, I'm sure like a jacket yeah. and whatever else blanket and whistle yeah. whatever did do you did you get into any of that stuff at all or did you or was it kind of just you kind of left that in alone the whole time um no I actually so one of the interesting things was like again and it comes with like I think the longer the race went on the better we got at like planning what I was taking with me but at one point I was leaving crown king and I was going to friendly pines and you're still climbing up after crown king right you do that that huge section with 20,000 feet of climb to mile 37 and then you leave crown king and you're still going up 
right? Yeah. And um, I forgot to take a jacket and gloves along, which was just, and we were like, man, I was like, that was stupid. And so I got to Camp Kippa and I was like, I'm so cold. And it's another like 10 miles to my crew. And then I realized I had my emergency blanket mm-hmm. in my pack. And so I actually put my emergency blanket on like almost like a toga. Yeah. Like I tied it around my, my shoulders and stuff so that I could wear it. And that was enough to keep me warm enough to get to where my jacket was. So I was, I was glad that I had that. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know I didn't, I don't think I necessarily had to use, I mean, the water, obviously I used the water. Um, and I know the whistles too. I didn't use it, but they've had issues in the past where like runners need help yeah. and medical goes out to like find the runner Yeah. and they have like a dot saying where the runner is, but they're like, okay, like I can see, like, I'm right by your dot, but I can't see you. Right. Like, can you blow your whistle so I can find you? And the runner's like, I don't have a whistle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, so I was glad, like, I think it's all those things are things that like, you hope you never have to use, uh-huh. but like, if you need to use them, like I had to use it for, for the cold, like you're glad that you have it. Oh um, yeah. Especially when it weighs nothing. I mean, compared to yeah. liters of water, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did you, uh, so let me ask you this. So when I came in, I did, I did, um, I swept some of the course for black canyons. And one thing I noticed is there's a lot of gunfire out there. <laughs> did you, have, did, did the course go along any of that? Actually, no. Cause, and I know exactly where you're talking about for the gunfire. Yeah. It's like a gun club. Um, and no, I didn't hear, at least that I remember, I didn't hear any gunfire yeah, yeah. during, during the race. Yeah. It's kind of surreal because you're like running around and all of a sudden, and I'm like, and I'm like, the first time I heard it was near the Agua Fria, and I'm like, am I in a like movie? I feel like I'm in a western or something, you know, <laughs> right. for the the birds to fl- start flying overhead or whatever. Wow. Well, uh, let me ask you this: You are a coach. Uh, you uh-huh. the way that. Uh, you know, you coached my friend Natalie over to an, a one-hour PR on this uh, Black right. Black Canyons. Um, what would you give? What would what is uh, some pieces of advice you'd give to your your athletes who would be, you know, embarking on something like a two hundred? Any kind of like um, either like something you'd focus in on the training or in uh, or in the mindset. I honestly think, yeah, I think that the for a race like this, the mindset. It, not that the training isn't important, right? Um, the physical training, but I think the mindset is even more important. Um, cause I do think with a race like this, it's really easy. Um, and I was lucky aside from that point at mile 150, I didn't really have a lot of mental lows in this race. Um, and I think it's cause I took care of myself and my crew took care of me, but I definitely think the mental training is almost more important when you get to this distance. Mm. Um, cause that's, what's going to take you out before the physical stuff. Yeah. And you have like you have enough time that again if stuff happens and you can just keep moving through it, you still have that chance to finish. Yeah, patience. Right? That patience seems like a good thing to do. Like yeah, I mean, it's usually that's the you know, the opposite of what people are talking about when they talk about racing, but it's like with these events, it's like, hey, have a little patience here. This is gonna pass. Whatever this yeah. thing, like this despair cannot last forever. <laughs> and I think the other I mean, the other thing, and I was lucky in that, in that, um, you know, on my, so my crew chief was a coaching client mm-hmm. and then I actually had two other coaching clients that came out and, and paced me for sections of it. 
Um, but I think that's the other thing is like I would suggest, and I, I actually feel like that was the harder part, right? It's hard to find pacers and crew for a race like this, just because even if people really love you, like it's a whole week, right? And right. they're like, like people have jobs and families and stuff. Um, but I think like surrounding yourself with a good crew mm-hmm. is also important so that they, like when you have those low points, you have somebody there that cares about you enough to keep you moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that with um with having like say your family or whatever where sometimes they could be the people that are like want to end your suffering. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's actually funny cuz one of one of the so I had of the pacers that I had two were people I had never met before, right? Mm-hmm. Um one girl actually she was supposed to pace another runner who who dropped out. She drove from LA and back to pace me. Like had never met before. It was right. it was amazing. But like my, one of my pacers was like, why isn't your husband here? And I was like, oh, because we've come to a mutual agreement that it's not beneficial for anybody for him to be here. Right. right. Like he just like he even when he's at home, he worries. He's kind of a city boy. So this is like completely unknown territory for him. But right. like to stand in the middle of nowhere and wait for me to come in. It's just like he just it totally. He gets really anxious about it and worries. And then it just like he drives the rest of the crew nuts and then I come in and I'm not necessarily at my best self. And it's a lot easier to be mean to people that love you because you know that they'll still love you afterwards. Um, so, so it just wasn't, yeah, we don't, we don't do family at the, at the events. And my, my younger son did, they came to the finish of Mogollon, my husband and my younger son, and my younger son ran in the last like two miles with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I offered that to him this for this race. Um, cause I always, with my kids, it's like, if you're interested, you can come. And if you're not like, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how far is it to the finish line? <laughs> like how, how long does it take to drive from our house to the finish line? I was like, it's two and a half hours each way. He's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to school. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's cool. But you go to school and we'll talk about it when I get home. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He truly was in the club of, I don't even like to drive that far. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so let me ask you this, uh, on your recovery journey now, is it, um, how much of it has been like a psychological recovery? How much of it has been like a, like just full body, you know, all your organs are like, can we just sleep here <laughs> forever? And then how much of it has been like your hips are killing you or whatever? Like your body, yeah. your physical body. I would say, so I'm going to start backwards with that. Like the hips okay. killing me and stuff, I would say is maybe a couple percent. It's mm-hmm. like, I have been amazed by how good my body has felt overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been good. Um, the tiredness, I have slept so much. I think a lot of it is just like the exhaustion and catching up on like sleep and calories. Um, but then there was definitely like, like Saturday, I had to like go run errands and like get back into like, this is like my normal life. And it was really hard to like, I'm like driving in traffic and like navigating Mm -hmm. grocery stores. And I'm just like, wow, this is like a completely different challenge right now. Right. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm back into real life and it seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. I, uh, I could see, yeah, I could see that just going on for a long time for some people, <laughs> you know, uh, like one, I think when you came across the finish line, you were like, uh, never again or yeah, 
And then like that, it was funny because like the whole time I'm like, I just need to finish this so I never have to do it again. Yeah. People are like, oh, I don't know, but you say that, but like, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never, never again. Oh, yeah, because if you dropped out, then, you know, especially, you know, with all your coaching clients around you, you know, looking on and like, okay, go back and get it. I know, right? I Yeah, I know. I did not want to have to go. And I mean, and and with saying that, like, I wouldn't, I'm so glad I had the experience. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. regret doing it at all. But it was definitely like when I started doing 100 milers, I'm like, oh, I'm interested in doing 100 milers with like the S on the end. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to try one a year and I want to keep doing this and getting better at it. With this race, it was like, this is I want to do this once. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to finish it and and I'll have had the experience and then I can move on with my life. Yeah. I wonder if you would. I wonder. So like it seems like almost say like the Tahoe 200, which is sick. I think a lot less climbing. I mean, well, it's kind of like, I want to say like 36,000 feet of climbing. I don't know. People would finish it. It's a lot easier. Yeah. It's California carpet, mostly, <laughs> um, you know, not huge, not much climbing. It's pretty nice weather. I th- and I think you'd probably finish it in like, you know, more than a day sooner then you finished yeah. Cocodona. So it's like almost like a completely different race, even though people lump them in the same category. So, yeah. you know, maybe you could, uh, you know, maybe jump into something like one of those easy 200s. <laughs> <laughs> the easy 200s. I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just noticed when I'm in a lot of these groups, like Cocodona 250 group, which is hugely inspiring because, I mean, I, there was just so many posts where people are like, you know, I lost my pacer or whatever. And then someone's like, okay, I'm at this aid station and I'm waiting for you. Or, you know, like people are just like on the fly, making changes through the Facebook group. Like I'll be waiting for you. And what, is there anything else you need? And then uh, people like I'm set up at the aid station. If someone needs, um, you know, some active stretching done or some body work done, I'll be here at this aid station until 4 a.m. And just uh, the whole vibe was just this like whole loving fest. It was just amazing. And that totally happened. And like, I was like my crew chief, it was kind of nice. Once I started running, I didn't have to worry about anything but running. And my crew chief was handling all that. Mm -hmm. But I think I ended up with seven pacers total. And three of those were people that I hadn't planned on pacing me, right. That Mm -hmm. we picked up during the race. And even one of them, um, so I had a friend that was supposed to pace me and, um, she lost her son like three weeks before the race. Oh. And so, and I, obviously she didn't, she didn't pace me. And like, I reached out to one of my coaching clients and he had never run more than a 50 K before. And I was oh, like, you yeah. want to try this? And he's like, yeah, let's go. And so he set a, a distance PR for the day and then had to follow me up Mingus. <laughs> and and I, ended up, I dropped him by a little bit up Mingus and he felt really bad. And I was like, dude, if you think I could have gone up that mountain without having you there, like supporting me and cheering me on that whole time you were with me, like you are very wrong. Um, So it's kind of cool just to see how like people come. And then the other cool experience was like every time I, you know, I made sure as we were coming into like the last aid station they were going to be with me at, I always like thanked my pacers for being Mm -hmm. with me. And the cool experience was they were like to a person, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? Like, thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this with you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's just like that Cocodona magic that like people just get like they just love the experience of it. 
Um, and I think it like, right. It says something about us as people, right. Mm -hmm. As people, we want to help other people. Um, and I think, you know, in some small way, this is a way for people to do that. Right. Yeah. But I think maybe, I wonder if, I mean, the trail running community is, that's the vibe generally anyways. Yes. But it seems like it's way more amplified at these even more ridiculously long distances yeah. where right. it's like, you know, when I, when people are like, I'm going to run a 50 K and I'm like, you can do it. And, yeah. but I would feel much more comfortable telling someone who was like, I'm thinking about doing a 200 mile or like, you might not be able to do it. Like yeah, you might, right. you might, there's a good chance that you could fail. Uh, now it does kind of self-select for people who have, you know, who are very serious and who are like, willing to do the battle that it's going to take to get through could be several despair sessions, vom vomit fests, you know, pain of, you know, what, what most people would consider insufferable, um, that they would be able to make it through. So maybe it's that, but like, it seems like the group, the people around the race are just like, it's so much more like, it's so much more dramatic and epic, I guess. And so it yeah. seems like it's amplifying that love and that like, I will do whatever you need me to do. I'm just here to help however I can. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's one of the things I've said is I've like talked to people, you know, like I don't, I'm not one to like brag about things that I've done in ultras. Like, and I try not to talk about ultras to people unless they show an interest in it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, but like, I feel like, like how it's impacted me as a person and how these races have made me grow as a human being are way more important than like the actual races themselves. Right. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah. And I think that holds true for like, not just the runners, but like the crews and the pacers and, and everybody involved. And even when I think of like, you know, working at Aravipa and the, the team that works for Aravipa, like they're all like pretty cool human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that just comes from like, it's, it attracts the type of people that want to better themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I get that too. Like, the, like that thing that I was, that thing I was talking about where <clears throat> first year Jamil's out there doing the course and it's like, there's carnage. People are out of water. Yeah. Everyone's lying under the shadows of cacti yeah. to survive. And Jamil's like, runs to the next stage station like we gotta get reinforcements you know like right. whereas yeah i don't know i've been in other races where i'm like hey it's the middle of june maybe you should add some ice and they're like it's a race whatever deal with it and i'm like oh okay <laughs> you know, i'm just giving a suggestion you know do whatever you want um there's actually a story about jamil i don't know if you've heard it but like he ran, so Mogion Monster wasn't originally an Aravipa race, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was started by two brothers, one of whom now works for Aravipa. Um, but Jamil was running the race and came upon some people who had a flat tire and stopped and helped them change their flat tire. And then they were like, oh, like, why do you have that number on? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm running a race, right? Like, <laughs> but like, this was important. So I stopped to help you. Wow. Wow, that's something else. That really speaks to it. So, well, so speaking of Aravipa, they got uh, you worked there. I guess uh, recently you've taken up working there. How, yeah. how do you like that so far? Oh my gosh, I love it. And I feel like like I started doing Aravipa races when I moved to Arizona six years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like, it was nice. Cause I came from Pennsylvania and I kind of had like my trail family there and it was nice to be able to like get plugged into a, another community. Um, and I did there, I was on the racing team for a couple of years. Um, and then, like I said, I had volunteered for a while. So it was just like really organic in that, like, you know, it's, it's helping with events that I'm actually passionate about, um, and working with people that I know and I enjoy working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also kind of like, I jokingly call it like monkey work, right? So mm-hmm. I do the events crew right now mm-hmm. and it is, it's like carrying aquatainers and putting up tents and pounding in T-posts and stuff. Um, but I, I enjoy that. And it's a good balance to like the stuff that I have to do on the computer for like coaching and stuff like that. Um, right. I spent 15 years in, in the medical field sitting mm-hmm. in an office and I was ready for a change. So I've just really enjoyed like the whole mix of it. And then like also learning and like seeing, so as a runner, I think sometimes you don't think of everything that goes into these races. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to see like on the back end, how everything actually gets like planned out and taken care of. um, It's, it's pretty fascinating. All right. Yeah. Did you, um, I, I obviously enjoyed them too. Cause I went down there and yeah. What volunteered for, gosh, it was almost like a week, I guess. Yeah, it was like yeah, putting up tents, and then I worked Bumblebee Saturday, Sunday. Then I swept for twenty five miles on Monday, so I got a bunch of Arrow Viper credit. So I got I got to burn through some time trying to figure nice. out trying to figure out my next figure out my race for that. It's hard to pick yeah. from because there's so many of them. Yeah, I mean, and that's the amazing thing. And now they have like the Colorado races. There's just yeah. like it's almost hard to find a weekend where you don't have an Arrow Viper race. Like even during the summer, right? They do races in like Flagstaff in Colorado, they do yeah. night races and stuff. Um, so it's just, and to see where, I mean, I wasn't here when they first started, but just to see looking back where they grew from mm-hmm. um, and starting out with just a couple races. Yeah. And then, and I think like Jamil has done a really excellent job. And then he's also done a really good job of like attracting the right people um, to keep things moving forward. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'm thinking about uh, the one I'm thinking about right now is maybe across the years. Oh yeah. One of those. I haven't done any of the fixed time events, but they're my favorite ones to like volunteer or work at Mm -hmm. because the community is so cool. And like, um, last, last year, my, I volunteered across the years and my 13 year old went with me, Mm -hmm. um, to help out at the aid station. And so he actually became like the face of the aid station. He was like handing out food to everybody. And like afterwards he's like, mom, these people are so cool. And I'm like, yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know. That's why I come here. Um, So yeah, it's, and it's cool as a mom to be able to like, like he's come to a couple of the races with me, um, and like hung out at the finish line or, or whatever. Um, and it's nice to be able to like introduce your kids to that kind of community, right. Where you know that he's learning good values from the other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, this community is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, uh, I love that it's kind of a value that people do anyways, where it's like, if you find someone on the side of the road that needs help, like Jamil found this person with a flat tire. I mean, that's a little going above and beyond, I think for a racer uh, to help someone with a flat car tire. But, um, but it is really, it's really common to like, you see somebody like you saw Jeff Garmeyer and you're like, Hey, you okay, buddy, you're going to make it. It's like, maybe there's nothing to do right there, except for maybe go to the next aid station and be like, there's this guy, you need to look for him. You know, keep yeah. your eye out for this guy. Make sure he comes through. If not, you need to go looking for him. Um, 
or like maybe you can give them something like, hey, here's some electrolyte tablets, you know, or I can I can walk with you for a little bit, make sure you're going to stay alive. Uh, but like not only is there that aspect, but now it's becoming like part of the rules of the race too. like, you know, I've seen like several races that I've entered into and they're like, hey, if you see somebody and you don't help them, like you're, you know, expect to be disqualified. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's nice to see, even though I don't know how, you know, how easy that would be to, um, you know, or how helpful it would be to enforce it. But it's nice just to see that the spirit is like explicit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. it's kind of one of those things too, where like if if you're going far enough or if you're out far enough, like it becomes a point where like it actually is a safety thing to look out for each other, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and just like in ultras in life, none of us get through it alone, right? right. We we might be able to fool ourselves into thinking we get through it alone, yeah. um, but we don't get through it alone. And so, like, just looking out for each other is really important. Yeah, and you're not, you know. It's very rare that you'd be that anyone would be giving up a prize purse to to be helping people, you know, right. like whatever. Um, and I will say this too that some of my m- biggest accomplishments in a race have been like I helped three people that were you know like really struggling, you know, yeah, helped to get somebody off of the ground and moving again, or like this guy was just puking in the trees. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think anyone knew he was there. Yeah. Yeah. And actually too, it was funny. Um, one of my clients at one point she had signed up and she didn't know she hadn't put two and two together that I was the same person, but she had been at one of my races and her husband finished and I, and I happened to be on the podium and he was like, Oh my gosh, I remember her in the race. And like, there was like an out and back and she was cheering for everybody that she passed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that was just like the biggest compliment was Mm -hmm. because I think too, like if you're cheering other people on, um, I think it helps boost you. And then Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is, is like, you know, if I went to a race and like everybody dropped out or everybody, you know what I mean? And I won, it's not as big as an accomplishment as if like I go to a race where like I have other competitors that right. I'm like having a friendly back and forth with. And like, yeah. I might get fourth at that race, but I get more out of it than if I had won with no competition. Right. So I think the only way we get better ourselves is if we help other people be better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It is a, it's a tough thing. I, I, that's one thing I'm going to try to remember for, when new people are coming in is it's a little bit uh, intimidating when some of these races, like every other second, someone's telling you what a great job you're doing. And you're like, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Like this doesn't happen in life anywhere else. Right. You know? Yeah. So um, you are coaching, obviously. Yes. Um, Will, um, and that's through, what's the name of the website? It's like uh, run, run. Is that right? Oh, wait, I'm, go ahead and say that again. I have a, I have a, um, I hear it. I hear you. You got a rocket going over our head. Yeah. We're not that far from a army base. Nice team run, run. Yes. It's where your coaching is through and yes. you have a deal where it's like a, a free consultation call and 50% off your first month. Yeah, absolutely. And you have openings um, now, huh? I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely taking on new clients. Um, coaching, it's been so much fun, uh, to coach. Like I've, I love running. Right. And I like appreciate the positive impact running has had on my life. I've been running since eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a couple years. <laughs> and, um, so I, I kind of got into coaching cause I wanted to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing for me that like with coaching, I've also gained so much out of it myself just because like 
the connections with these people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I feel like the running community, like we said, it, like it's a really special community. And so being able to help people and work with them towards these goals that they set for themselves has really been an amazing experience for me. Um, yeah. And I think it, it's also like with coaching, the, the technical aspects of coaching are important, right? You want to be able to make sure you're assigning the right workouts and you know why you're assigning those workouts. But I think even more than that, it's just like with that mental piece of it, right? Helping mm-hmm. coach people through when they're going through tough times in, in training or in life, being able to be there for them and make sure that they keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, cause it seems like the simplest part of all of this running and racing and all that stuff is the just running training. Like there's, you know, it's like, you have to go run, (laughs) but then all the other stuff is like, what you got to eat. And how do I even think about running for 50 miles? Like, and getting stuff in. Yeah. Um, or, Or like you're, my life has gone crazy. What do I do now? Like, do I just push through this? Uh, this ex-Marine on Instagram says I should just push through everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I actually did have a guy the one time that was like, um, he, he, we had our consult call and he had run an Ironman and then or competed in Ironman and then hadn't done anything. And then he was like, and then I heard that there's these hundred milers and I think that's even harder than an Ironman. So I want to do them. And he's like, have you heard of David Goggins? And I was like, yes, I have heard of David Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's like, he's the most divisive character on the trail and ultra running Facebook group. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, whatever. People, you I know. think it's like, and it's, it's one of those things, like I've always said, right, I'm not the right coach for every single runner. Right. Right. And, and so I feel like David Goggins is definitely maybe in a more polarizing way, right? I'm not quite as strong a character as David Goggins, but like, I'm sure that there are people where he has changed their lives for the better. Yeah, He's just not for everybody. Right. And so I think that we can't expect somebody to be the right motivator or coach or whatever it is for everybody. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. He's, he's catching, he's the the new generation of grief catching that Dean Carnazzi's used to hold in yeah. trail and ultra running. Everyone's yeah. like, Oh, he's such a, an attention, you know, craver. Uh, and it's like, well, you brought all these people now and you know, they're out there having fun and enjoying it and in a healthy mm-hmm. way. Um, so you were saying that, you know, you're not for everyone. What, who, who would you say that your coaching is for? I mean, I, I think who is my coaching for? I think it's for people, you know, that are looking to achieve big goals, but then are kind of also interested in that, like, emotional mental side of, of the racing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like I'm not, I'm not going to measure your VO two max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if you want help on working through those tough spots, then, then that's where I think we can connect. And I think also those people that want that see running as like part of their lives and not the only thing in their lives. Right. Like again, running is important because it makes us better people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's who I end up getting along best with. And then I think the other thing is like people that are like, I need somebody that's going to communicate with me. Um, and trust me, mm-hmm. uh, I've had people that like, I'm like, you need to take a, you need to take a day off. Right. Yeah. And then they never take a day off and then they keep getting injured. And they're like, I don't understand why I'm getting injured. I'm like, well, you're getting injured because 
you're not taking planned days off. So your body is giving you unplanned days off. Yeah. And if you, and they're like, well, what are we going to do about it? I'm like, well, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> I think that's the thing is like, um, and it was interesting. I had one client, I, I, I don't think she'll mind that I tell this story, but like she's, she's a road marathoner. Right. And she was on the way to a race and she was talking to her, her wife. We were kind of new in coaching uh-huh. and she was like, I need to talk to Des because she's not assigning enough mileage for me. And her wife's like, what do you mean? Like, you don't feel ready for the race. She's like, I don't know. It's just like before I was running way more mileage and I'm not running as much mileage. And I don't think it's a good thing. And her wife was like, but maybe Des knows what she's talking about. And before you were running too much mileage and you were overtraining. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I think I'm going to talk to her. And then she went and she ran a PR at the marathon. Yeah. And she was like, oh, Des knows what she's talking about. I'm going to listen to her, but no matter what she tells me to do. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that's the other thing is just having people that kind of want that balance, right? Like we can run ourselves into the ground and maybe you'll have some really good races, but long-term it's not going to benefit you. Right. Yeah. It's tough to get people on board with like, Hey, let's think about a thousand day plan or whatever. Right. When there's such a pressure from like a hustle culture where it's like, you got to be grinding like a damn fool every day, stay hard, yeah. all that, you know? And it's like, well, okay, that's going to work for a while until it doesn't. And then you're going to yeah. be like, one day you're going to wake up and your body's going to say, Hey, why don't you just stay in bed for the next three months? Yeah, exactly. You know? And I mean, I can speak from it. I can speak to it from experience, right? Like I, I definitely like, I trained really hard in college mm-hmm. um, and ended up having some issues after college and took like six months off running. And then even as a, as an adult, like I had some issues with like overtraining and adrenal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, if any of my clients had told me what was going on with them, with me, what was going on with them, I would have been like, oh, you need to take a break, right? But yeah. when it's yourself, I'm like, oh, my race went terrible. You know what I should do? I should train harder. Um, yeah. So I think it's just, yeah, like being able to trust that, that kind of like, um, what word do I need? Like that, that third person that yeah. isn't, that isn't yourself telling you what you should be doing, but trusting somebody else to look at something from the outside and being able to be um, less judgmental about it. Yeah. It seems like I I hear that a lot that people, that coaches, especially for ultra running, maybe, well, maybe for all, anything that's longer, I guess, is that, um, that usually you're hiring coaches, not to, not for them to assign you more work, but to keep you from doing too much work because we're already doing it. I mean, it's, I get it. You know, like if you're running roads all the time, it can be a, easy to I think it's easier to get burnt out whereas right now here it's summer in Montana it's like the mountains are open baby and they are in bloom I want to be out there all day every day like eight hours a day but I'm like you got a race coming up why don't you it's just uh you know yeah and it's like I have so I have a book the uphill athlete um about training yeah and I think there's some quote in there about like you know, like if you're reading this book, you're a motivated person. And so if you feel tired, it's not because you're lazy. It's because you're tired. Right. Like, I think that's the other thing is like, there's this whole, like ultra runners are so, we're so driven in, Mm. in life and in running that like, then it's like, Oh, if I'm, if I'm not feeling driven, it means there's something wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I must be, I'm not motivated anymore. I've lost the spark. And maybe it's just that you need a nap and a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I wonder too, because, you know, because ultra or trail running is so enjoyable, 
I have troubles with like, well, you know, like I did Canyon, did part of Canyon's 100K, I did about 42 miles. And then I was like, it's too hot. I'm going to go home. And and so that was great. That was perfect. But then I got a little bit sick from that. And then so I'm like, oh, I'll take some days off and just whatever. I mean, I need to rest up anyways. And then, you know, I watch one video of somebody running and I'm like, I should go run. And then uh, it's like, I'm the opposite. I'm like, yeah, there's just, there's no end to my enthusiasm. So that's, and that's a problem. It can be a problem. Yeah, yeah no, it's totally true. And so for me, I don't know if it's, I have a problem. I would like to get your opinion on this. It's like, if it's, I have a problem with when people are like, how do I get motivated? And so for me, I think, well, maybe you're just, you haven't found the right hobby for you yet, because I feel like it shouldn't be a battle. Like if you, you don't like running then maybe you shouldn't run like maybe you should ride bikes or i don't know find something else pickleball i don't know but um i don't feel like it should be a battle and i don't see how it'd be sustainable to like now i to beat yourself into like enjoying something or whatever yeah yeah no it's totally true and it's not that like any of us don't have times when like we get done with a long day of work and it's hard to like actually get out the door Mm -hmm. but then i feel like most times then once you get out the door then then you find your motivation and you keep going. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, if you're, if you're constantly like, I hate this and I don't feel motivated, then something needs to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm, and I'm not speaking about that, that first three weeks of like someone's getting into running, that's going to probably suck every time for until, and then one day you're going to be like, this doesn't suck as bad. But, but once you've, you know, you've been doing it for a year and and you're just like, you keep, going to YouTube and looking for some pump up video because you just can't seem to, you don't get excited. Yeah. Then maybe, maybe it's time to look for something else. That's what I think. And that might be controversial, especially in the hustle culture. It's like, no, you just got, you think I like to do this. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I like to do this. I only do it because I like to do this, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I Take actually it. had a woman when I worked at, I worked at a run specialty shop and she came in and she was just like, running is terrible and anybody that says they like running is a liar and like I hate running and anybody that runs more than three miles at a time is crazy and I was like oh oh okay I won't tell you what I do for fun (laughs) yeah you will definitely think I'm nuts yeah yeah okay cool well hey thank you so much for sharing all this stuff about Cocodona absolutely this was fun I'm probably going to watch this like three times and studying for my own 200 misery. Um, yeah, right. Because you're, are you doing, you're doing Tahoe? I'm doing Tahoe. Yeah. And I got moved to July then too. Yeah. Got moved to July. So <laughs> what some people said was like, oh, cool. This works better in my couch to 200 training. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and so I lost my crew chief. Um so because he was going to have a he has a conference that conflicts with this. And so uh, I got Natalie is now my crew chief. Oh, that's awesome. She will do an excellent job. Oh, uh, she's already she's already started. She's like, what's your sleep strategy? Let's, you know, yeah. let's coordinate and all that stuff. She's already I should on. reach out to her. I'm going to reach out to her and give her um, the phone number for my crew chief so they can uh, compare oh, cool. notes, too. Oh, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So it's working out for me. And now I got, you know. It, you know, it was going to be real soon and now it's going to be, I got 10 weeks till, till the race. So like, you know, it's like, it's like a dream come true. Cause you know, once you get up to like three weeks before your race, you're like, Oh, I've only had like one more month. 
you know what right. I mean? Because you can't, there's not really cramming, but, but man, in a month you could do a fair amount, especially around say strength or, uh, you know, yeah. you know, or around strategy or something like that. So, uh, I, actually, I think it's ideal. It's tough for those folks that are coming, say from Europe and, you know, right. Yeah. Like travel plan stuff. But Yeah. That is real rough. So yes. Awesome. Well, thank okay. you so much. You are welcome, Scott. And good luck. I'll be watching Tahoe. All right. Okay. Well, folks, that's a wrap on another episode of Extra Tomorrows. Would you please navigate over to your podcast player and give the show a five-star rating? I sure would appreciate it. Take care, friends, and I'll see you tomorrow.